0: Great. Uh, here we go then, team. Um, we've, we've looked at uh, different things over the last few weeks, and I hope you're beginning to see how it's all coming together. The first week we looked at the authority of God's Word, how it was put together, um, just to give us greater confidence that what we have in our Bibles... I haven't even got one in front of me. I <laughs> need to use these. Uh, what we have in front of our Bibles is God's Word. Remember, we looked at it being dual authorship. It's written by men written for us it's messy but it's written by God as well he oversaw everything that was written in it so we had great confidence that God's word is relevant uh, second time we looked at really the authority of God's word is it trustworthy as an authority particularly because authority is being undermined and we looked at some of the isms and some of the things that culture is saying we had a break last week for some time of prayer and praise which was great and this week there are some of the questions that we're going to look at um, I know there are questions a number of you have said you'd find helpful to look at And the next week will be the last of our little series, and we're going to look at the question of clarity. Is God's Word clear? Because I know we often find bits of the Bible we don't understand. Sometimes we find things that seem like contradictions, and we're just going to look a little bit at that together. But they're the questions we're going to think about. But just by way of introduction, we live in an ever-changing world, don't we? Some of you were born before 1940. Is that right? None of you? Perhaps not, actually. Well, some people might have been born Ah, Arthur. You're holding up fantastic. Here you go, Arthur. Well, you might laugh at this, but I want to make the illustration that we're living in an ever changing world. Just listen to some of these. If you were born before 1940, Arthur, a uh, Big Mac was a raincoat. <laughs> Crumpet was what you had before tea. Might take a while to get some of these. Um, a stud was something you fastened to your wrist. Uh, going all the way meant staying on the bus to its final destination. Joint was a piece of meat, and grass was mown, uh, but we live in a, we live in an ever changing world don 't we and, and the expressions change, and the culture around us changes and, and because of that, the Word of God is challenged all the time is god 's word really relevant today? Words change, so does the word of God sort of change? Is it really relevant? Is it not just a dusty old book? How could the writers all those years ago possibly get us today how could they possibly be able to speak truth into our situation and we looked last time two weeks ago because of those problems God's word is increasing our culture being undermined and relativized and threatened and that's the sort of stuff we're living in we looked at some of the isms some of the cultural expressions of our unbelief and God's word is being undermined all the time and so I want to help us to grasp why God's word is relevant today um, so to begin with here's something for you to think about in your groups we need to ask yourselves this question, what do you think having faith really means? Just throw it around in your groups for a few moments, you can talk about what your friends or family might say, you can talk about what you say, but just listen to each other and have a crack at that question for a few minutes. Can I, uh, can I pull people together? It's actually a big question, isn't it? You could probably discuss this all evening. Um, I'm going to have a chance just to have some questions in a minute. I just want to share some reflections on faith with you. And then um, if there's things that came up in your group that sort of bounce against this, then um, our runner over here is going to come around the mic and you can ask some questions. But just think about this. I, I don't know whether you've discussed a little bit about how other people describe faith. But one of the things, I guess, in the world that people see faith is a kind of a, a feeling of what I believe. Um, but it's all kind of quite woolly and doesn't have any sort of certainty. But I love where the writer of the Hebrews says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see that's at the very heart of what faith is a deep deep confidence sure we all have doubts as christians that's natural and normal but to forever doubt what god has said is not a good place to be because we god wants us to have certainty he wants us to have assurance and when we listen to his voice he actually speaks truth into our lives all the time but if we dig a bit deeper, when it comes to understanding what the Bible says about faith, it's really important that we grasp that faith isn't just what I believe, though it's never less than that. But faith is also, in the Bible, obedience to truth. Do you see the difference? You can believe something's true, but your life is never shaped by that truth, and it makes no difference in your life. But you still believe it's true. But true faith is taking what is true and obeying it, it becoming a reality in your life. So really, faith in the Bible is about surrender. It's all about the lordship of Jesus, that you acknowledge he's king, that's the truth, and then you follow him as lord, that's the obedience. Um, so some people have talked about faith being credence, what I believe, and commitment, how I live in light of what I believe. And so we've got to grasp that, because often we like to think of faith as sort of what I believe, it's, it's for me, and I believe this, and you believe that, and it's good because we've got faith. But we're living in a culture where everyone's got faith, Every single person has faith in something. The question is, who do you trust? If a person's an atheist, they still have faith. They have faith that their worldview is the right one. They have faith that they perhaps are the centre of their world, or, or that God doesn't exist. But it's still faith, because faith is a trust and obedience in something, or in someone. So there's just a couple of thoughts to think about um, Sure, faith is personal in terms of the way that you might express your relationship with Christ will be different because we've all got different personalities. We don't want to fit everyone into a mould. But faith is never individualistic, which means that your trust in Jesus is never lived out in complete independence of our trust in Jesus. That's why the Bible has lots of images of the church being like a body because actually your faith, your trust and then your obedience in truth will affect those around you. So if you are growing as a Christian, that's going to have a massive impact on everyone else in the room. And if you're stagnant as a Christian, that's going to be detrimental to others in the room. But we often like to think of faith as what I believe and maybe how I live my life. But actually, the New Testament is much more corporate. And I think we as Christians need to think more corporately about our faith because what you believe and how you live your life in light of what you believe has a massive impact on people around us. If you've got a Bible, could you just turn up 1 John chapter 5? 1 John is a letter that the Apostle John wrote. It comes right near the end of the Bible. Um, Not as far as Revelation or Jude, but just before that. Turn up 1 John chapter 5. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 4. 1 John chapter 5. This really sort of pulls together some of the stuff I've been uh, sharing So there you've got kind of verses that talk about really faith, what I believe, but obedience to it. And, and so often we get stuck over here, faith is what I believe, but we fail to see that what we believe is meant to have a profound impact on our life. Jesus is so countercultural. when his spirit gets hold of you and transforms your life, it will make a big, big difference. But do you notice verse 3, this is what I love. God has commands, he has a way he wants us to live, he has expectation for our life, his spirit will radically change us, but his commands are not burdensome. He's not some distant deity just barking orders at his people. He's a God who loves us and who knows what is best for us. So when he tells us things, things sometimes we like to hear, some things that are a rebuke to us, they're always good for us. His commands are not burdensome. Just one more point before uh, time for questions. Uh, I'd like us to think tonight a little bit about the difference between true worship and and false worship and I mean when I speak of worship there I mean in its broadest sense not just sung worship though that's an integral part of our worship I mean kind of Romans 12:1 and 2 giving all of our lives as a living sacrifice that's worship okay true worship has to start with who god is it has to be defined by who god is now again I said earlier we might express our worship in different ways but that can't be the defining factor for what worship is this is how I like to think of god Or this is how I like to worship him. Because actually, worship has to begin with who he is and how he's revealed himself to us. Sure, our response then may be a bit different. But we have to think in terms of worship, how has God revealed himself to me? Not, how do I project God to be? This is the sort of God that I like to believe in. If you want to unpack that, go back to your notes last week. That's the kind of language of the relative world we're living in. This is what I like to think God is like. Well, this is what I like to think of God as like. Oh, that's nice. We've got different views. The point is, God has revealed himself to us, so we don't need to guess what God is like, because he has spoken. Rob unpacked that brilliantly this morning, that he is a God who's spoken, and we can have great clarity about who he is. Um, See, there are two ways of magnifying God. You can magnify God like this. He he gets sort of put in a box, and you get out your microscope, and you kind of dissect him and analyse him, and try and get a sort of measure of God, and then whatever you think God is like, that's how you like to worship him. Or you can magnify him like this, with a giant telescope, realising he's so much bigger than you and I will ever be. We can know him truly, but we can never know him fully. But we're magnifying him. We, our life, our, our worship of him is about him getting bigger and bigger and bigger in our lives, and us getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So just looking at those pictures, I wonder how you magnify God. Maybe he's too small to you. I know he's often too small to me. Uh, But true worship has to start with who God is. And that's why last two weeks ago I talked about one of the great definitions I think of worship is reorientation. Reorientating our minds and our hearts. Looking at who God is as he has revealed himself to us. And then expressing our praise to him. Rather than trying to think about who I like to think God as. Um, So I I touched on it last week, didn't I? I said... You know, we must never use an alibi of love to replace obedience. So people will say, well, Christians should just be loving. Well, of course we should. But to truly be loving is to help people to understand what God has said because God is good. And we can't talk about a God of love if we don't talk about the other characteristics of God. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a lot in there, but I just want us to grasp a bit more about faith, because it's a word that we all use a lot, but we perhaps don't understand what the Bible has to say about it. Um, just uh, Here's my runner. Any of you want any, uh, to f- come back on any of that? Anything that's not clear, or anything you discussed in your group you'd like to share, just to help other people? Just stick up your hand. Great. Stuart, over here. Um, uh, Alan brought up the point that you brought up as well, that um, a lot of people have faith. In things like Muslims have a, um, they are convinced of what they believe, and he said it's very important that you uh, know what you believe in. That's almost a more important question than what you have faith And What you are believing in mm. is more important than your faith is uh, not of works. It's your salvation is in somebody who's done everything for mm. you. Now that is very unusual and well mm. unique. in in any religion and uh, that was the major point when we were discussing it here yeah thanks Alan, that's really helpful so faith is objective isn't it, it's placed in someone, it's not about the strength of feeling I have, because my feelings go up and down like a yo-yo, but the great thing is God never changes, we just sung about that didn't we he never changes and so my faith is placed in him brilliant, yeah thank you any other comments from anyone or questions I hope that's helped you a little bit. The the notes, uh, like last week, are a bit fuller than what I'm saying, but you can take them away and think about them. Do come back. Um, But that, that was true worship, starting with who God is. False worship, by contrast, is really starting with where we are who I am, and then we project out what we like to think of God, and, and that's how we then worship him. Uh, I just want to make one, one point on this, I'm going to do a little bit of history, again if you don't follow all of the history, don't worry at all, it's going to be quite brief, but what I want you to go away with is grasping that when people say to you today, God's word is not relevant, that's not a new issue, it's not a sort of 21st century thing, but for all those other decades and centuries before everyone kind of accepted, I just want to show you just by way of example that this isn't a new thing, okay? Here's a chap. He looks miserable, but he's a great guy called Polycarp. Okay, 155 AD, so kind of 130 years after Jesus, second century. This guy was a disciple of the Apostle John. So he was taught by John, who wrote the letter of John that you've just read in your Bible. So he knew the Apostle firsthand. Um, He was uh, challenged by a Roman official because he wouldn't declare that Caesar was Lord. Um, Emperor worship was a really big deal in the early centuries, and he refused to call Caesar Lord. And this is what he said. Uh, I think of Arthur like this, because Arthur is one of the oldest guys here, and he's been following the Lord for a long time. Well, here's Polycarp, age 86, and he said this 86 years I've been Christ's servant, and he's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? He was really challenged about the relevance of God's word in 155 AD, and he refused to back down because he knew. Um, who Christ was and all that he'd done in his life it's not a new battle Uh, he went and he was burned at the stake the fire didn't kill him quick enough and so he was stabbed he was a martyr for the Christian faith but he believed God's word was deeply relevant and what the Apostle John had taught him he refused to back down on it's not a new issue then you get this chap here, Justin Martyr a little bit later Um, he was influenced by uh, the teaching of Plato you might have heard of Plato who was a philosopher uh, a mathematician This guy has an amazing story. He kind of was seeking after God for a long, long time, and he was converted on a beach talking to an old man who just felt prompted by the Spirit to go and talk to him. And this guy talked to this guy. who had been on this quest trying to find out, looking at all these philosophies, who Jesus was. And uh, he was converted. Amazing story, and I can tell you a bit more about him. He's a great guy. He wrote some stuff to try and help Christians who are being deeply persecuted. And he was trying to write to influential people saying, it's not fair how you are victimizing the Christians. Um, Actually, they're doing a huge amount of good in society. He said that the the scriptures aren't contradictory. He stood up for what was true. um, And he was teaching the Christians, don't fear death because Jesus has the key to death. There is life beyond the grave. Uh, This guy was flogged and then he was beheaded in 165 because he refused to worship the uh, Greek gods. Just another person. Two men who gave their lives because they believed that God's word was deeply relevant and it touched them so much they were prepared to be killed for what they believed than to renounce their faith. Uh, A bit closer to home, you'd have heard of these guys. You might recognise Martyr's Memorial in central Oxford. Uh, Top left there's a guy called Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley and Thomas Cranmer. They had a run-in with Mary I. They were then burned at the stake in 1555, 1556. They had a run-in because they... I disagree with Mary I, um, over, particularly over the Lord's Supper and some issues to do with the Roman Catholic faith. But again, the massive issue was, is God's word relevant? And they refused to back down. And uh, there's some amazing stories you can read about these men. Um, they would not renounce their faith because God's word was relevant to them. Uh, and then uh, you can read on in your notes, but I put a few things in here about people who did try to undermine the word of God. In the 18th century, you, you might have heard of the Enlightenment, this period of history where people kind of felt that they wanted to put all the other history behind them, and somehow they were more mature than any of the other centuries that had gone by, and suddenly God perhaps was giving new revelation. And then you get the secularism in the 19th century, so you'd have heard of guys like Nietzsche, who famously declared in 1882 you know the phrase, God is dead. How convenient is that when a person declares that God is dead? That's very nice, isn't it? Because if God's out of the picture, suddenly I have a justification to live my life my own way because God's not there. But the fact is God's not dead. God is very alive and God was the one who created Nietzsche. But this is the sort of stuff that went on. And Into the 21st century, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, relativism, which is this idea. Truth exists, but it can't be absolute. So you can believe this, you can believe this, but never claim that there's one truth for all people which is what the Bible does all the time. Um, i just give you those, and, and you can follow this stuff through if you're interested in it, but if you're not interested or it all washes over your head, just take one thing. When your friends say to you the word of God is not relevant, they probably don't know what they're talking about because if you actually push them, you've got a few examples of where people have stood up for their faith and actually gone to their death because they believe that the word of God is relevant to their lives. I just want to encourage you with that. Um, because these men, some of whom have had massive influence in this country, uh, have stood up and, and allowed God's word to continue to speak. And I just want to encourage you that we're the next generation called to do that in whatever way we have to. Um, but it's going to get difficult. Great. Uh, back into your groups then. Here's some, a little bit of group work for you, um, just to think through some questions. You don't need to do all of the questions at all. Find one that is helpful for you, but you might want to do one. Um, but just... Some of the questions are quick, um, some of them are less quick. But just have a look at some of them because this will get you into God's word and help you to see what God's word says about itself and why it's relevant. Okay? Let's, um, let's pull our thoughts together. Uh, there's lots of questions there. I was never intending to get through them all, but you've got them on your sheet, so you can do a bit of homework this week. That'll be fun. Um, Matthew's going to run around, Just going to look at these three, first three questions. Just short answers, just to help us each. So, um, someone over on that far group, Matthew, do you want to run over there? Um, what's the purpose of God's word? Um, I think it's a long time ago we talked about it I think it was um, that God brings us salvation through faith and our understanding of what's true great verse isn't it it talks about the Holy Scriptures that's the Bible makes us wise for salvation well you and I need to be wise don't we we long to be wiser than we are and it's God's word that makes us wise great what is it though that leads to godliness it's a funny word isn't it godliness means becoming more like God more Christ-like his spirit works in our life Uh, What is it specifically that leads to godliness? Let's have a a, a group at the back. Someone asked earlier who's Titus. Titus was sent to um, the island of Crete to lead a church there, and Paul wrote to Titus this letter to encourage him. What is it that leads to godliness? Come on, Neil. A knowledge of the truth. There we go. It's the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. If you want to grow to be more Christ-like so that your life honors him, it's a knowledge of the truth, and we find the truth in here. Do you see the running theme? This is what makes us wise for salvation. This and what is in it, which points us to Jesus, helps us to be more godly. And the last question, which is more just think it through, what's the implication then? If truth is found here. You've got to know it, Kathy, brilliant. You've got to know it and you've got to read it. So I just want to ask us, do you listen to the voice of God? Because in here is his spirit works in our life. That is how we grow as Christians. We can't understand this without the help of his spirit. Alan. Uh, Matthew, where are you? Can you run over to Alan? He's got something wise to share with us. It says here, it's brought to light, the word is brought to light through preaching. So the implication is you would listen to preachers and pray for them. Yeah, thank you, Alan. That's really helpful. Brilliant. And, And preaching, different to the sort of thing we're doing tonight, preaching is a sort of authoritative declaration where God enables a person to declare truth. And, and it's a wonderful thing that we have the privilege of listening to people who unpack God's word to us each week. Thank you, Alan. Really helpful. Great. Just as we come to a close, then, there's lots more we could think through. But I just want to ask this question, Then, we pull things together. Um, uh, is the Bible relevant for to us today? Sometimes a helpful way of asking a question like that is to put it in the negative. That means ask the question, what would happen if the Bible wasn't relevant for us today? Well, that would mean that God has lied god doesn't tell the truth it would also mean that god can't be trusted and it would mean that ultimately we're making ourselves lord in our lives i'll be the decider of what is true and what is right and what is good it's a pretty dangerous place to be isn't it so you can easily turn a question on its head you say or a christian says the word of god is relevant a friend says no it's not well ask them okay what would happen if the word of god is not relevant do you want to be lord they might say yes but if you push them on it it's pretty scary Am I really in control of this world? Um, Secondly, uh, this is something I'd love you to just see. Um, Again, Rob touched on this. These are two amazing truths which really sum up, is God's word relevant? Uh, First one is this, God's word is timeless. That means that what was spoken then is eternal. It's a truth that will always be true. Because remember, God spoke it. Um, I love that word uh, there in 1 Peter. He quotes from the Old Testament, the word of the Lord endures forever. That means that God and the writers were perfectly able to write all those years ago and for that to still have relevance and truth in our life. But this is the most staggering truth and I want this to really humble us tonight. God's word is timely. Which means, you know that verse, if you went on, you looked at 2 Timothy 3.15, if you go on to verse 16, which is a very well-known verse, it talks about all scripture being breathed out by God and it is useful. It's a word that implies it continues to be useful and the fact that the word of God is timely means that when you open God's word and when you humbly come before him and his spirit speaks the truth into your life, it is a word for you today. It's not like a history book. Oh, that's a nice fact about Jesus. It's actually Jesus saying, I am speaking to you today. Have any of you ever just um, opened your Bible and something has jumped out of you or you've got your daily readings for the week and it's spoken exactly into your life? Just stick your hand up if you've ever experienced that. There you go. There's proof that this is true. God knew that that was the case before this was even written. That is a staggering truth. That you can pick this up in the morning. And humbly come before God and he will speak into your life what is true. And that is amazing. God's word is timeless. It will always be true. And it's timely. He wants you to hear his voice today. So just as we close, and I'd love you just to turn your groups to just spend a few moments praying. I just want to ask you, in in a world with so many different voices, whose voice will you listen to? Just reflect on that for a moment in quiet and then perhaps just turn some of your thoughts to a prayer. I'll pull us together in a few moments' time. They're great words, aren't they? I will stand on every promise of his word. Uh, If you could just remember one thing tonight, please go away with remembering that faith is about what I believe and being obedient to what I believe. If we stand on every promise of God's word, then we'll be putting our faith into action and we're putting our faith in someone absolutely rock solid. The one who never changes. Uh, just to say um, the uh, handouts I put together just to help us there the previous two weeks are in the racks the new racks out by Helen's office so if you want to pick one up if you weren't here you can today's ones will be by the door on the way out and then next week's the last ones um, will be there Um, they'll also then be put in the racks for a week after next week so if you've missed one you can pick one up Um, but let me close by reading some words of encouragement from Romans chapter 15 for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So then Paul prays, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.